Okay. So let's start imagining, some, uh, inviting all the uh, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas to come. So it's nice to, you know, imagine a space with a lot of offerings, and a very beautiful kind of space, and then uh, visualize the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas there, as well as all the arhats and lineage lamas and so on. And then ourselves surrounded by all the sending beings. So remember to include Putin and all the Russian soldiers. I think automatically we have the Ukrainians in there. But remember those who are perpetrating harm as well, because the karma they create is uh, really horrible. And, you know, they will experience a lot of suffering due to that, unless it's purified. And it's not like people learn their lesson through suffering. So let's all be in harmony with each other now by sharing the same motivation. So let's all face the direction of full awakening with a mind motivated by compassion for all living beings and a mind seeking the truth of how phenomena exist, and mind wishing to, are aspiring to develop the skillful means to be able to lead all living beings of so many different temperaments and dispositions and interests along the path. After my, I should say, maybe at the end of my introductory remarks before we did the visualization, I made the comment, uh, not like people learn from uh, punishment. So I want to unpack that. Okay. Uh, There's a few English words that I would like to see obliterated from our language. One is sin. Okay. Second one is blame and fault. 
Those two go together. And the third one is punish and punishment. Okay? Because I think that the ideas uh, associated with those words in uh, our culture are quite damaging. Okay? We usually think that if somebody does something wrong, they should be punished. And we, and we think punishment is good for two reasons. First, it is justice. In other words, you harmed someone, now you get harmed. So that's the idea of justice, okay? Yeah, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth business, okay? Uh, and in which Gandhi said, then we will all be blind and toothless. Um, and the other reason we enact punishment is we think that it will turn the other person away from doing that action again. Okay, so if you study Skinner, Skinnerian um, psychology, you know, if you punish the dog when it does something, then it won't do that again. Okay, but it doesn't always work with human beings, okay? Because many people, when they are punished or when they did something that they considered okay and then somebody else punishes them and they don't understand why they're being punished, yeah? Or they understand why, but there's no opportunity to discuss it, yeah. then uh, instead of learning from punishment and not doing that action again, uh, they get angry and resentful. And very often, uh, when you're a kid, become rebellious and do the action again just to say, you know, try bossing me around. Okay. And then, you know, when that kind of thing gets built up over time, especially when the children become teenagers, you know, very often they're looking for connection with other living beings. But the only way and the only time uh, people pay attention to them is when they are punishing them because. Maybe the family is doesn't function very well, or the parents aren't around, or nobody bothers to say kind things to the kids and point out their good qualities. And so for many kids, you know, it's, uh, uh, well, this is how I get people to pay attention to me. And then that very easily turns into a uh, very harmful it can sometimes be self-harmful behavior in terms of addictions and alcoholism and so on when they grow up, or it can become criminal behavior. And sometimes kids uh, are uh, doing behavior that adults don't like um, because they're really asking for help. And we as adults don't understand what they're saying. Okay? When I was teaching, I had a third grade class, wonderful kids. 
And one little boy who I really liked a lot, who was a good student, at one point really started to act out. And I didn't know what in the world was going on. And one day he slammed a cupboard door like so it it hit my face. So I took him to the principal office, you know. And then I found out later his parents were getting divorced. It was like, duh, why didn't I ask him what's what was wrong? You know, why didn't I think to ask him what was wrong? Because he usually didn't act like that. And then deal with what was wrong instead of his the behavior he was doing where he was trying to say, I need some help. Yeah. And so, so often when we're dealing with people, they're saying one thing by their behavior, but we misread what they're trying to say. Yeah. And then we, you know, situations really build up and can become very harmful and detrimental. Uh, you know, because we don't know how to express ourselves well and say in words what's really going on, often because we don't know what's going on inside of ourselves, you know. And or we don't know the words to put it to to explain it to somebody, so we don't communicate well. And then from the other side of the person watching that, um, they interpret it according to how you know their the convention conven- conventions that they have learned, and impute meaning on that. That isn't necessarily what the other person is trying to express. And so here you have a mess. Yeah. So the reason, okay, so the word punishment, yeah, indicates that there's a certain motivation behind what we're doing. Somebody did something that either to us personally or to society in general is uh, considered not okay or harmful. And then we think punish caused them suffering. Yeah? And by causing them suffering, that is justice. And second, that will make them change their behavior. Okay? So... First of all, I I don't know. That doesn't seem to me justice. In a in a Western way, according to uh theistic religions where there's a God, you know, that maybe that's justice. Yeah. But I've never heard the word justice in Buddhist teachings. I've never heard, I mean, Shanti Deva, you've read this book? We read it, yeah? Do you see the word justice in it anywhere? Yeah, in the Kamala Shila text, is there justice? In Lamrim, have you ever word the, read the word justice? Yeah? I mean, you look in Buddhist texts, I have never seen that word. Nowadays, some people, you know, uh, de- Western teachers start to use it because 
of the culture and they feel they need to use that word. I, I don't know. Yeah. To me, how that word is used in our culture is not very helpful. Okay. So then when you say, okay, that you don't favor punishment, then people usually say, well, what do you do? You're just going to let the criminals roam around and keep harming, harming people? Okay. Punishment and incarcerating somebody in order to protect them from harming others and to protect potential victims are two different things. With punishment, you want to harm somebody. Yeah. With, you know, limiting somebody's movement, incarcerating them, whatever. If you do it because that person right now, their minds are so uncontrolled that they, they can't moderate their own or regulate their own behavior right now. So while they're in that state, we limit their actions, yeah, and try and help them, you know, rebalance their mind. So some of you have, uh, we went, studied Nagarjun as precious garland. We, you know, I taught that text some time ago. Um, some of you haven't, but he has a whole section in there. Um, well, he talks a lot about government in in that text and the qualities of a good leader and he in within that he talks about um what to do with people who misbehave who are harmful and you know he talks about incarcerating them but he also talks about freeing them and not keeping people incarcerated for their whole lives and giving them a second chance in the society, or if they can't do it in this society, this is ancient times, you send them somewhere else where they aren't known and they can start afresh, okay, without the, the, the present society's, you know, stuff on their head. So that makes a lot of sense to me. You try and rehabilitate the person. You you try and see what in the world is going on and and help. Okay. So in that way, when people harm, instead of generating anger and wanting to inflict pain and punishment, which to me leaves us in a very strange psychological state where we rejoice in other people's suffering and we rejoice in inflicting punishment, suffering on somebody else. And we legitimize it by saying it's justice. And then how do you deal with that in your own heart? Yeah? How do you deal with that tension of 
wanting to punish and wanting to harm with trying to develop compassion and have a peaceful mind oneself. Yeah. Extremely difficult. Yeah. So I don't know how many people actually live with themselves. Yeah. Because I know with myself, when I, if I get angry at somebody and the thoughts come of, you know, no, I, you know, I, I don't wish physical violence, but, you know, wouldn't that be nice if that happened to them? Then instantly I, I look at that mind and it's like, what kind of person am I that I rejoice in somebody else's suffering and I want somebody else to suffer? What does that make me, you know, as somebody who's trying to be an ethical human being? if I rejoice in that. And those thoughts come. We were taught to think like this. And especially in in a war situation, you know, there's a clear enemy, uh, or, you know, in our own internal American politics, you know, and the thoughts may come, wouldn't be nice if, you know, that person had a heart attack, or that person whatever, you know. And then... Immediately, like, what what does that make me if I wish harm? Okay? So when you notice those thoughts, yeah, immediately stop them, stop and and look and say, you know, I don't want to be a person who wishes harm on others. You know, there's too much harm and suffering in the world already. And also Harming that person is not going to really do any good. Yeah? Well, we may think, well, if somebody killed Putin, then, you know, the war would be over. No, he has a lot of cronies. Somebody else is going to come and and be president. Yeah? It isn't like, you know, Putin's gone and then all of a sudden Buddha is going to be the president of Russia. (laughs) Yeah? Or all of a sudden some politicians in our own country are gone and, you know, they're going to all be replaced by bodhisattvas who just happen to agree with us. Yeah. So to really, you know... Again, this comes to having a big mind of this is samsara and we are witnessing it in all of its deformity and disgustingness, you know. And uh, we're trying as best as we can as spiritual practitioners whose own minds are full of garbage, you know, to find our way in this mess so that we can live with ourselves peacefully and have compassion for others and deal with the tension that comes from trying to very often practice spiritual values in a samsaric society. Hmm? One good example 
of that. We were talking about it yesterday when we were doing um, the confession. Somebody had brought up uh, the issue of, as a Buddhist, how do we deal with uh, war and things. And when um, yesterday Zelensky spoke to the U.S. Congress, and, uh, you know, he hit some really sensitive points in the U.S. And then he spoke to the German Bundesstrike. Where's Venerable Jampa when we need her? She'd tell me how to say it properly. Anyway, I'm sure she'll, she'll listen to this tape and she'll send it in. And I still won't be able to say it. Um, okay, but the, the German parliament, yeah. And he, he said, you know, you, all of you said at the end of the last world war, Never again. But those words are meaningless because look what is happening now. And one, people are getting destroyed and not, people are not coming to help. You know, because people are helping, but he wants fighter jets and a no-fly zone and the West, NATO, and, uh, is very hesitant about that. But wow, when he said that, you know, you said never again. And that really, after World War II, that was very much the feeling it was like. The horror. I mean, two world wars in one century. Um, both of them in Europe. You know, in Western culture that prides itself for being civilized and advanced. Yeah. And, you know, people said never again, and it's a situation right now where it's quite difficult. Yeah. And as Buddhists, you know, we certainly don't want to see a world war or even one or two people getting killed. Yeah. But we also don't want to see, you know, innocent people getting killed in a, a, a non-aggressive country get uh, taken over by an aggressive one. Yeah. And this is, you know the tension we live in with trying to practice dharma in samsara. So we think, wouldn't it be nice to go to some place that didn't have these problems and then practice dharma there? Because then I wouldn't have to deal with all this. Yeah? So we're always, Amitabha, can I come there? You know, Amitabha, please. And maybe Amitabha saying, we'll see. Maybe there's something for you to learn sitting in the stew. Okay. So, most people do not learn by suffering. As Buddhist practitioners, having just finished studying chapter 6 on fortitude, and 
going into chapter 7 on joyous effort, we know that we can learn from suffering. Yeah, because Shantideva has taught us how to do that. Shantideva has given us the tools for that. Yeah, the Buddha in his teaching gave us the tools for that. Yeah, so this is the time and place to put those tools into effect, you know, practice them in our own minds, and uh, realize that we may not come to, you know, that it's, it's difficult. We, we may not be able to come to conclusions that make us completely peaceful inside. Yeah? And, and that uh, we may see ways that we can help or that help can be given, but we don't have the ability to do it. I often think, you know, wouldn't it be incredible to be a bodhisattva, having taken rebirth in Russia and now being among the people who Putin is close to? Yeah. And just looking like an average person, so he's certainly not suspicious of anything. But, you know, being a close friend who can give him some, some advice. Yeah. But I don't have the ability to manifest many bodies to do that. Yeah. I mean, very often we look around and you know, because you can see sometimes one person can make a big difference. Uh-huh. And you think, wow, if only I could manifest as that one person. But you can't. You know, and you look and your mind's filled with rubbish and you got this clunker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, clunker, like an old broken down car. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so, uh, you know, we want to help, but we can't do it real well. This is, this is part of the practice. This is why we are studying this text, okay, while we try and reflect on it and meditate on it. It's, it's so we can really learn how to deal with these really, you know, perplexing problems. Because yeah. we often think, oh, there's so many things that are driving me crazy right now. You know, I wish I could stop them all and then just meditate and I'll get results. You know? Now, if you're a beginner, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But after you've heard some teachings, you know, and you've heard it repeated again and again and again, you know, that your daily life is 
part of your practice. It isn't just sitting in samadhi with your mind somewhere else. It's also learning how to be compassionate in this crazy world and learning how to be wise. And then you realize, oh, this is my practice. Instead of, gee, I wish I would be free of all this. No, this is my practice. Can I handle it gracefully? You know, gracefully doesn't mean this. But, you know, in in my own mind, with without getting uh, aggressive, fed up, complaining, you know. Can I just, yeah, I'm doing the best I can and be satisfied with that. Okay, so let's continue with this chapter. It's amazing how every week there's something that's happening in the world that pertains to the Dharma that I have to talk about in this class. Imagine that. Yeah? I wonder why. Also, understanding not just developing ordinary compassion, but seeing that the more we are able to really understand what samsara is, that changes what our idea of compassion is. Also, the more we're able to understand impermanence and emptiness, those two understandings also influence what our compassion is. So if you read the quotation down by Kuan Yin in our foyer, the quotation by Chandrakirti, yeah, um, if you haven't heard teachings on it, you know, I've taught on it, and other people have taught on it, learn those teachings, because that tells us in very in very concise verse, how to combine the uh, well the first kind of compassion, seeing the nature of samsara for what it is, the second com- compassion, understanding impermanence and lack of a self sufficient substantial existent I, and the third kind of compassion, and uh, that's conjoined with an understanding of emptiness and how all those understandings shape what compassion becomes in our own mind. So it isn't just, oh, those poor people, I'm crying for them. No. Yeah. We feel so much compassion that we just sit there and cry and feel awful, awful, and we don't do anything to help because we're too absorbed in our own pain. So I'm not saying that we have to jump off our seats and go running around without any kind of constructive plan, you know. But there are ways to stay involved in our heart even when we cannot actively do something. Okay, so we've been going through in the chapter on joyous effort, um, talking about the three kinds of laziness. So the first one being of procrastination, 
and sleep. The second one, as Geshe Nawangarge called it, being the busiest of the busy. In other words, uh, just enjoying samsara as much as you can and being distracted by it. And the third one, uh, discouragement. Okay, so we've been talking about the first one of just, you know, lounging around and sleeping more than we need to really sleep, and but we have lots of good reasons why we need to do that. And, you know, I just like, I've worked so hard, I don't feel like doing the laundry, I just want to, yeah, be a couch potato. Yeah. Boiled potato, baked potato, french fries. You know? Uh, you know, I'll just be a raw couch potato <laughs> and sit there. You don't need to do anything special with me. Just leave me alone. <laughs> okay? So the antidote to this is uh, remembering death. That we have a precious human life right now, and it's in the process of going out of existence moment by moment. And since our our you know our discussion with Shanti Deva a week ago, our life is now a week shorter. And every moment that passes, we're getting closer to death. So, have we re- prepared for death? Have we prepared for for future lives? Yeah. That verse uh, in the parting from the four clingings, when it talks about making plans, that verse is really a good one, especially for those of us who like to make lots of plans so that we know what's going to happen. Yeah. And to realize that... Uh, yeah, we're always making plans, except we usually don't plan for death, and we usually don't plan for our next life. What we plan for is how to be happy this life. Yeah, But if we're going to be involved in plan, making plans, we should think about the one thing in this life that is definite to happen, which is our death. Everything else is optional, may or may not happen. Death is definite. And, you know, to think about what state of mind we want to have when we die and what we need to do now to create that state of mind at the time of death by creating, learning how to create it now. Okay? And then to think about what kind of uh, life we want to have in our next our next rebirth. Yeah. Do we, some people look at our kitties and say, "Oh, your kitties are so what a wonderful rebirth!" You know, they get to sleep all day and hear the Dharma. You know, and they're loved to bits. They don't have any problem with not receiving enough love. So, yeah, isn't that a wonderful rebirth? It's awful 
It's awful. You have a nice uh, situation physically in this life. No opportunity to practice the Dharma. Yeah? We try and keep you in the room when His Holiness is teaching or when there's a Dharma activity, and you run in another room. Or you hiss at each other. Yeah. We try and tell you not to kill, you know, to chase and kill voles and moles, and you do it anyway. And no ability to uh, to think about ethical conduct. Okay. So to think about, you know, what kind of rebirth do we want and what do we need to do to create the causes for it? Huh? And don't just assume, well, I'll be born in a safe place in my next life. No. Because who knows where we'll be born? And who knows if where we're living now will be a safe place for the duration of our life. We don't know that. Okay, so to, to uh, you know, think about this and contemplate cause and effect. These are the effects I want. What are the causes for them? How do I create those causes? And remember, ethical conduct is how we, the, uh, how we create the causes for a good rebirth. Generosity is how we create the causes to have the wherewithal, to have the, a lot of the leisure to practice the Dharma, the resources to have to practice the Dharma. Practicing fortitude is how we uh, create a healthy body because we abandon harmfulness. Ethical conduct counts in there too. Okay, if we practice joyous effort and complete what we set out to do, and because what we've set out to do, we've thought about well, yeah, not, it's not just on a whim that we've committed to something, uh, then we create the cause to be able in future lives to complete what we start. And if we start the path, we want to be able to complete the path. Okay, concentration, be able to keep our mind focused on bodhicitta, wisdom, to understand the nature of reality so we can, you know, comport ourselves properly within uh, a, a world that is like illusion. Like illusion, not is an illusion. There's a difference. Okay. So to continue with the, the chapter, uh, the verses of, of thinking about death. If even in this life I shall be gripped with fear, like that of a live fish being rolled in hot sand, why even mention the unbearable agonies of hell that will result from my unwholesome uh, deeds? Okay? So even in this life... Uh, I shall be gripped with fear. If we act negatively, if we have a harmful attitude, we become very paranoid because, you know, 
we are acting harmful, so we assume everybody else is acting harmful towards us. Yeah, people saying right now, you know, Putin is kind of in a paranoid state. You know, our ex-pres, you can see that in him too. So, uh, you know, if if we focus on harm, then that's what we see. So, and and also if we commit negativity, much of that karma can ripen even in this life in terms of uh, untimely death or different diseases, painful diseases, and so on. Okay. So, if that can happen in this life, why even mention the unbearable agonies of hell that will result from my unwholesome deeds? Okay. So, our unwholesome deeds, this is what creates the cause for our own suffering. So it could be things we do in this life. Yeah, it could be things we've done in a previous life that we haven't purified. So when we understand this, then we want to really engage in purification practices. And we also want to to take care to not harm other living beings in this life, either physically or uh, verbally, how we speak to them, or mentally, how we think of them. And when we do experience some pain, either physically or mentally, to think, this is a result of my own negative actions. So it's good because that is consuming the energy of that negative karma. So instead of ripening in a lower rebirth, it ripens in this. And physically, don't we always have some aches or pains or something that isn't going well in our body? When you think about it, you know, it's like every day, isn't there something that hurts (laughs) or is uncomfortable or that you wish would change? Yeah, so when that happens, then to think, oh, you know, I mean, just start with the small things. This this is a result of my negative actions. I'm glad it's ripening. That karma is finishing. And that prepares us for as we age, when this body really begins to break down. Because for sure, unless you die first, you're going to be dealing with a body that's breaking down and is painful. You know, so two great options, right? Die first or deal with with a painful body and then die. Yeah. But if you die first, no time to practice dharma. So you want to be able to, to live longer, even if you're dealing with a, a painful body. Okay? And just that's that's for that's gonna come. That's gonna come. And so to prepare ourselves, you know, when the body's painful. Yes, this is this is the nature of samsara. This karma is ripening. Now it's finishing. You know, goody. And you think of, you know, I told you the story of my friend with the big painful boil on her cheek, where Lama's hope said, "Fantastic, yeah, that karma's finishing." 
So think, you know, use that. It's really helpful. Yeah, when you have mental suffering, yeah, the same thing. This is is a result of, you know, my manipulating other people, my tormenting other people mentally, my betraying their trust. Yeah, my uh, turning on the people. Yeah, the people who who trusted me, breaking promises. Uh, and so on. So, yeah, mental suffering. Mm-hmm. No wonder when we looked at, you know, we look at this life, how we've treated other people. Oh, no wonder I have problems. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not so surprising. Look how I've spoken to other people in the past. It's just boomerang effect coming back to me. So and so do the Tonglen meditation, you know, take on the suffering of others and give them your happiness. Yeah. And so here it can be really helpful. Take on the suffering of the people who are harming you, of the people you don't like. Yeah. Because why are those people doing harmful actions? Because they're unhappy. So, practice taking on their suffering. I know, you know, Geshe Tafke, when he was teaching us equanimity, you know, start with the neutral people, then go to your friends, then to strangers. Last are the enemies. That's how it's taught. I don't know, but I find it much easier to go to the enemies because that is what really challenges me. Yeah, to, to be neutral, you know, neutral with friends. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, with strangers, that's a little bit harder. But with the people who have harmed me directly, they're the worst ones in the universe. And so to learn to practice forgiveness and, you know, Compassion with those people instead of holding grudges, wanting revenge. Verse 12. How can I remain at ease like this when I have committed the actions that will bear fruit in my delicate infant's body encountering boiling acids in the hell of tremendous heat? Okay, so if we're born in the hell realms, you know, delicate infant's body. Right now we have a delicate infant's body, don't we? Yeah, when when you're working in the kitchen uh, and you have to pick up one of the tops of of something before, so everybody can go on the lot and get their food, and you touch the lid and you, it's hot, you know. How delicate are this body is, huh? or something falls on our feet and oh, that hurt, or you know we fall down and oh, I'm crippled. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. So when we've committed the actions that result in physical pain, 
then how can, you know, how can we remain at ease? You know, we need to purify those actions. We need to really apply the four opponent powers to them. Last summer, it was really hot, wasn't it? Yeah, we got up to 104, 105. Even in the evenings, it didn't cool down. You still felt like you were in a, a, um, a sauna. You know, you had to walk down some evenings, not every evening, but some evenings. If you walk down to Spring Valley Road, there was a little bit of cool air in the evenings. Yeah. And that was the only cool air you could find uh, outdoors, you know, inside, you know, okay. But uh, outdoors. So how difficult that was to live in that kind of heat. Anybody find it easy last summer? Yeah. It was, it was difficult. Or when it gets really cold. And then you think, okay, well, what about it being cold and being in Ukraine without any electricity? And there, you know, they're still behind us. They're still more wintry than we are right now, you know. And you're living in the cold and inside in the dark 24-7, yeah. Or you're living in someplace really hot, yeah. Singapore in the... Hot, Singapore has three seasons, hot, hotter, and hottest. <laughs> okay? And if you grew up there, I suppose you get used to it. Yeah. But if you didn't grow up there, yeah. and uh, right now Singapore really, um, they send all sorts of, what are those? The uh, chemical that's released from aircon. Free, free zone or freon? Yeah, they're, they're champions now at releasing freon uh, because now they have everything aircon and too cold. So you have to go in, in with a sweater to a shopping center. They could actually reduce the freon, if they didn't make it quite so cold, but, you know, you go from the hot hell to the cold hell, and you, you miss what's in between. But, um, yeah. So just to, to imagine that, you know, in, in that kind of heat. When I first went there um, in 77, there was not that level of air con, and it was really hot. And even before I came, I can't imagine living in the kampongs, you know. And basically people very often just in those climates, you live outside because every little bit of of um, breeze counts, you know. You want to experience it. Okay. So if I don't do well in those kind of situations now, then what would happen if I get reborn in a lower realm? Now, the next verse, 
Shanti Deva is going to poke us some more here. Much harm befalls those with little forbearance, mean, meaning little fortitude, little ability to endure discomfort and pain. Hmm. Does that apply to me? Am I somebody with little fortitude, little ability to endure physical or mental pain, emotional pain? That apply to me? Oh, I'm the only one. Few others. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. Much harm befalls those with little forbearance. And those who want results without making any effort. Hmm. Does that one apply to me? You bet. <laughs> I love those verses, you know. Please, Merritt Field, give me this realization. Please, Merritt Field, you know, help me to understand the the, the disadvantages of samsara. Please, Merritt Field, bless me to have unlimited compassion. Please, Merritt Field, bless me to understand Nagarjuna's subtlest description of emptiness. Yeah, I'm requesting the merit field all the time to do the work for me. Yeah. It's actually, all those requesting verses are actually a psychological method for for us to get us to state out loud what is important to us in our life. That's the goal of the, of the requesting verses. But we don't use it like that. We use it like, I'm sitting here, merit field, you know, you're enlightened, come on, you know, shower it down. I want to gain all the relation, all the, uh, realizations and, you know, I don't want to make a lot of effort. Yeah. I mean, I'm already trying as hard as I can. Yeah. On precept days, I wake up 15 minutes early. I, you know, that, that, that's, that's my endurance. And once in a while, I'll even volunteer to wash the dishes when it's not my turn. See how I'm developing fortitude and the ability to overcome harm and discomfort. And once in a while in the summer, when they ask me to go work in the forest, I'll go out and take a nice walk in the forest and wind up where I'm supposed to be after about half an hour, 45 minutes, and then pick up a few sticks and move them a few places. And then uh, that's enough. That's enough. I want to go back and chat with my friends some more. Okay? So much harm befalls those with little forbearance and those who want results without making any effort.
those who do, you know, those who in the mouth say, I believe in cause and effect, but do not live their lives like they believe in cause and effect. Yeah. I want the effect of Buddhahood, but oh God, three countless gradients. I can't even make it through the day. (laughs) Yeah. What do they expect me? Can't they make the path shorter? Who invented this path anyway? Yeah. Who can I complain to because this path is so difficult? Who invented it? Who made it up? There should be some office I can complain to. Sorry. Yeah. He really pinpoints us, those two lines, doesn't he? You know, because in, in polite discourse, you know, with other people, nobody would ever say to you, looking you in the eyes and say, much harm befalls those with little forbearance like you. <laughs> That's not done in polite society. Yeah, nobody would look at us and say, much harm befalls those who want results without making any effort, like you. (laughs) Yeah, nobody else tells us. Only Shantideva has the compassion to tell us that to our face. No, I'm just <laughs> reading Shanti Deva. That's my excuse because if I told you, you'd get mad at me. If I'm quoting Shanti Deva, then you kind of have to listen. Okay? It's true, isn't it? You know, it depends on who says what to you. And if I say, You're a lazy, good for nothing bomb that you expect. <laughs> you expect to be Buddha by next week? (laughs) You know, none of you are going to say thank you very much. (laughs) I will do as directed. (laughs) You know, you'll get mad at me. Hmm? So, but, you know, if Shantideva says it, that, oh, well, yeah, you know, this guy... Yeah, he said some other things that are kind, kind of make sense. So uh, maybe I should listen to him. Maybe. Notice the maybe in the sentence. Maybe I should listen to him. While, cl- while clasped by death, they cry like the gods, Oh no, I am overcome by misery. Okay, so this is, is like us, really, yeah? The, the gods, uh, there's different levels of gods. It applies to, there's desire realm gods, form realm gods, formless realm gods. The desire realm gods, okay, who are just above us in the ranking. Um, you know, oh goodness, somebody ranks higher than us. How can we tolerate that? Uh, actually, we, we are more fortunate because we have precious human rebirths. We're more fortunate than those gods in this life. But those gods have, you know, 
super sense pleasure deluxe all day long. Okay? So they can eat whatever they want. Doesn't matter how many calories. They don't get obese and develop heart disease or, or diabetes. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah? You could eat all that gooey pink icing. <laughs> I look at that and my arteries go, don't go near that stuff. But apparently people like it. You know, I like that gooey pink. Blech. <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't do anything to your arteries. And it just, you have bliss. And you don't get diabetes or obese and heart disease and anything. Yeah? God realms have a good that way. Yeah? They go to parties all the time. Yeah? And that's for the gods that like parties. There may be some god, gods who don't like parties, but those gods don't have to go to the parties if they don't want to. You know? And they have boyfriends and girlfriends, deluxe. And, you know, they're all wearing beautiful jewelry and garlands of flowers, and their bodies smell, you know, so fragrant with no use of deodorant, you know, and no BO that the deodorant has to cover up, you know. And they always look attractive. They don't get old most of their life. So they always look young. Their skin never looks like their grandmothers <laughs> <laughs> or grandfathers. Yeah. Anyway, their mothers and grandfathers uh, uh, have, have beautiful skin. But actually, the, the gods are usually, they, they are, uh, have spontaneous rebirth. Yeah. So, oh, isn't that great? You don't need to go through uh, adolescence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you want to go through adolescence again? Yeah. You want to go to high school again? Yeah. High school is suffering, isn't it? Adolescence. I mean, you're, we're crazy when we're adolescents. We're, we're nearly omniscient and we're crazy at the same time. Um, so gods don't have any of that. They don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. They don't have precedents they don't like. They don't have world wars. They don't have, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake. And the gods said, yes, we'll do that. Uh, yeah, the lower, the lower realm gods. They fight with the demigods, yeah, who are also in the god realm, but they're the next lower down, okay? So, yeah, there's a caste system in the god realm, okay? And there's, there's, uh, uh, I don't know, it wouldn't be race, racial prejudice in the god realm. I don't know that they have different races, but, you know, those demigods, yeah. They're all criminals. Yeah. The apple trees grow in our land. And a few branches 
go over the fence into the demigods' land, and they have the nerve to pick our apples. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the other way around? I thought it was the gods. It grows in the demi, the roots are in the demigods, and the apples are in the gods. Anyway, whichever way it goes, nobody likes it. Okay? Because the gods, I don't know which way it goes, but the demigods are saying it's ours, and the, and the gods are saying, no, it's ours. Yeah? So it's like, Remember, those of you who have siblings, when you're fighting with your siblings when you're young, it's mine, no, it's mine. That's what they do. So these are the lower realm, the the lowest uh, god realms. Um, Yeah, so they fight and they kill each other. I don't know. Did they cremate? Did they bury their dead? What did they do? I haven't read anything in Abhidharma about how they handle that. Do they have memorial services? But what they do tell us about the gods is when the karma for those rebirths is ending, the gods very quickly age. Their bodies begin to smell. They can't go to parties anymore because their bodies are too weak, so they can't do the cha-cha and waltz and the the latest whatever. Yeah, Colombian dance. No, <laughs> they couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they fall into incredible despair and depression right before they're going to die because they had this whole life of amazing luxury. And then it's falling apart. Their body's falling apart. Okay. Their friends don't want to see them. So all the their, the people they partied with are now going, mm, you smell bad. We're not even coming there. You're suffering. We don't want to deal with your suffering. Like we do often, somebody's in the hospital, and it's too scary for us to go visit somebody in the hospital because it reminds us that we could be in the hospital one day. I don't want to go near you. And so that leads to a lot of emotional distress and pain for the, for the uh, gods. Plus, they have visions of where they're going to be reborn, usually in, in one of the lower realms. Yeah, So they have visions of where they're going to be reborn, but they're dying very soon, so they have very little time to actually practice. Yeah, So all of a sudden they're realizing, oh, I created the cause to be born like that. I'm having visions of that rebirth. I want to purify, but there's no time. Yeah, So very, very uh, painful deaths for, for those even in the God realms. Okay, so while cra- classed by death, they shall cry like the gods, oh no, I have overcome my misery. Of course, I don't think they say it in that 
voice. They probably scream it at the top of their lungs. And everybody ignores them because other friends have gone away. Okay, then 14. Relying upon the boat of a human body, free yourself from the great river of pain. As it is hard to find this boat again, there is no time for sleep, you fool. Only Shanti Devak and the Buddha can look at us and say, you know, this is no time for sleep, for messing around, you know. You fool. Who me? I'm not a fool. I'm doing my best. Don't criticize me. Okay. So this is the meditation, all the meditations on the precious human life. Okay? So, you know, the eight freedoms, the... um, the ten fortunes, uh, the preciousness, what the meaning of a precious human life, what you can use it for, and then the meditation on how difficult it is to create the causes for this kind of life. Yeah. So this is where you do those meditations. So I could go through all of this, or I could assume that you've heard it before, or I could assume know that you've probably heard it before, but you don't practice it very much. And it might be good to hear again. Which of those three? (laughs) Yeah. How much do do we, you know, just reflect on on the preciousness of our life and how how valuable it is, what we can do with it in a Dharma sense, and how incredibly difficult it is to create the causes for it. And how minus just even one small cause, then all the good causes can't really bear fruit. Okay? Like, you may have all eight, you know, all of the 18, all of the 18, except one, yeah. I once I went uh I was invited to to speak in in Denmark this was many many years ago. And uh one of the one of the people who uh was in the Dharma center worked in a uh in a center for children who were handicapped or other, other, other abled, and not not just physically other abled, but also mentally, you know. And so I asked her. I said, "I want to go, you know, and meet some of the kids." So we went, and Denmark is a very wealthy country. So we walk into this room, and the first thing that hits you is there are bright colors everywhere. You know how in children's things, children love bright colors. You use colors to attract children so they can learn something. 
So the place, just beautiful colors everywhere and murals and games and toys galore on the floor. That was the first thing that hit me. The second thing, so eye consciousness, second thing was air consciousness. These really weird sounds. And I'm going, what is that? And I start to look where all these toys are in beautiful colors. And there are children there. Yeah, some of them are maybe 10 years old, but they're in cribs. Yeah, some of them, maybe even younger, and they're on like a uh, a board with wheels on it. So they're lying with their belly on the board, and then they can ha- push their hands and feet on the wheels and kind of move. Others of them just lying back and with the balloons and everything. <sighs> it was. You know, so here, you know, human rebirth in in a rich country, free of war, where they have, you know, they are fed and taken care of and and everything. Yeah. And there's books and there were Dharma teachers and everything there. And then missing the the mental capacity. And or, no, some are just with the mental capacity, some are physical and mental. Most of them were physical and mental. Yeah. So all the other good causes they were experiencing, but because they lacked one of them, the other ones couldn't really be used for, for uh, what is advantageous in this life. Yeah, so, so to think about that and imagine, you know, imagine being born as one of those kids. Have you ever imagined yourself being born like that? Try it. Try it. Imagine yourself being one of our kitties. Yeah, pick one of them. You have four picks, four choices. Yeah, which one do you want to be? And then imagine being that kitty. And then you think even how all of our kitties got here. All of our kitties were were not ones that we went looking for. Example of the students and thinking, yeah, and then how that was propelled into that rebirth. But then are they creating any karma? Negative karma with the, their, the kids in, in in that in this particular life. Yeah. So I, in a way, I'm wondering how that would even out. Yeah. In a way, you know what I mean. Well, that's how how you have to look. You know, do they have virtuous mind mental states? Do they have negative mental states? Yeah. You know, sometimes people can still show kindness, but so they I'm sure they often get angry and upset too. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah. But imagine being mudita, for example. Yeah. And you found your way up here, who knows how, having been quite traumatized. She was definitely a traumatized kitty. Yeah. Hiding under the front deck. And then being so afraid of everybody and everything. And, you know, that was her, you know, usual first reaction at the beginning. You know, try being that. Or look at, look at one of the spiders, you know. Or the flies, the, the flies and the stink bugs and the spiders. Oh, the weather is just perfect for them now. I don't know if you have as many down here as we have up at Prajna Cottage, but we have a lot. So if you're missing any, you know, we will very happily share our bugs with you. But you think, you know, what, what does a spider think about all day? Yeah. And when we take, take a spider and we carry it outside, it has no idea what is happening to it. Yeah. We're protecting it, you know, from getting, probably getting clawed or eaten by a cat. But it feels confined in that space. And all of a sudden, you know, I was just like laying on this, on the ceiling. It was so comfortable, <laughs> you know, waiting for, waiting for some bug to come along. No. No cares in the world. And now something touched me. I don't know what it is. And now I'm in a small place. And now it's bubbling around. And then they, you know, it goes outside. And I was warm before and now it's cold. You know, and I don't do well in the cold. And then they hit that thing and I was like, I go flying out. I mean, they have no idea what's happening to them. Uh, so what would it be like to, to be born like that? There are some beings born like that. We can see them. So what would it be like? When I was in Malaysia one time, they took me to a zoo. Yeah, zoos are a great place to meditate. You know, zoos and cemeteries. And uh, uh, in, you know that part of the world, they have these incredible birds. I mean, we go crazy when there's a, a, a red-winged blackbird. And, you know, you have to strain your eyes to see the red because I don't know, I can't see the red, you know, I just see the blackbird. But anyway, you know, and the, the tropics, these birds with like so many beautiful colors, and shapes and everything. And so I was looking in one of it, and I don't know, I'm not good at naming birds. So it was a bird. (laughs) I can tell you that much. And it had one of these really big beaks, very thick here, and then grew thinner, and it was curved, and it was multicolored. Do you know the names? What? Toucan? Huh? Horn. 
a hornbill or a toucan, two names? Okay. But these beautiful birds. And, and that bird and I locked eyes. You know? And we just stood there looking at each other. And there was this definite sense that, you know, there is an intelligent being locked inside that body. You know? You can't make eye contact with a with a spider, so it's you know, you don't usually think of them. Yeah, that's that's a two can. But but they're they're native of South America. So okay. they might have they might have taken it to Singapore for the zoo purposes. Well no, but they just have its own hornbill species. Oh okay. okay. Very famous okay. in Indonesia. Okay. Yeah. So not two cats. <laughs> So is it a toucan or is it a hornbill? Okay. This now Chitamadra philosophy comes in. Because Chitamadra philosophy says nothing exists by it, its own character by being the referent to the name that's that's given to it. Because if it did exist by its own character as the referent of the name, then you could couldn't have one object that had two different names. Yeah, so this is a good, very good example. You never thought of, yeah, Yogacarya philosophy in this way, did you? Yeah. So, yeah, so, you, you know, it was just like, wow, there's some intelligent being that, you know, because we're making eye contact like that for a long time. And and it really made me think, oh dear, what would it be like to be born like that? Everybody comes and you're so beautiful. You know, how in this life you wish people came and say, Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, yes. You know, nobody says that. Um, at least not to me. <laughs> so yeah. So there there are people who are Oh, you're so but you're locked in that body with no ability to communicate. But I felt like it was a being who could think, who had some kind of awareness, you know. So what would it be like to be locked in a body like that? Okay, so... When you, when you meditate on precious human life, you don't just go through, oh, point one, yeah, I'm not born in the hills, yippee. Point two, I'm not born as a hungry ghost, yippee. I don't even know if I believe in those two realms. Point three, I'm not born as an animal. Yeah, maybe that's okay. But I sure like to sleep a lot. Yeah, point four, I'm not born as a long-lived God. Oh, but that one, long live. That's not so bad. Oh, except these are the ones where you're spaced out for your whole life. And the only time of consciousness you have, conscious awareness, is the moment you're born, the moment you die. Maybe that's not so good either. But I'm not sure if I believe in it, in those realms. And if I don't believe in them, then they don't exist. Right? 
so, but then it's funny because I can see animals, so I have to admit they exist. Yeah, but uh, we human beings, we can't be reborn like that. No, no, that's, that's not possible. Although sometimes we act worse than the animals. What's going on in Ukraine right now? The indiscriminate bombing that's actually targeted at civilians. That's how indiscriminate it is. Would an animal ever do that? I don't think so. Animals only kill when they're hungry or they're threatened. So sometimes human beings whacked worse than animals. So wouldn't it make sense that they could be reborn as animals? Okay, so, you know, really put some time and energy into that, that meditation. And at the end of it, when you imagine all these different forms, you know, come back and then think, woo, this life, I'm not born as that. And then you start thinking of all the good uh, situations that you have, and you go through the ten fortunes and really think about them. Okay. Any comments or questions? Yeah. Go back to justice and how that's not in Buddhism. Um, One reason might be because karma includes this element of like equalizing things out. Mm. Like everyone gets sort of what's due to them, you know, whether it's good or bad. Not that anyone being is in charge of this process. It's just, you know, it's a natural occurrence. So Mm -hmm. when I think about people who are doing terrible things and I want punishment or I want some a human being to step in and stop them by, and nothing can be done, then I think about, oh, car- the law of karma. I don't have to worry. They're going to experience the effects. Yeah. But even that, saying, oh, they'll experience the result of their karma. They'll go to hell. They'll have a horrible rebirth. Yippee! They're going to get their due. Yes, you want to make sure there's no rejoicing. No, it's not like that. It's like in doing so, they'll learn maybe not to do this anymore. That what? They'll learn not to do it again. No, but that's the point. Once you're born in those realms, you'd you'd have no awareness of how you were born there and what you did to get there. I mean, look, even in the human realm, if you didn't study Dharma, would you have any idea of the causes you created to be born in the human realm? So why should a being who's having incredible mental suffering or incredible physical suffering have the awareness to think, oh, I'm here because in a previous life I did this and that? They don't have that awareness. That's the tragedy. Because if beings had that awareness, we wouldn't do it again. But we do it again all the time. Yeah? So it's not like, oh, they got punished going to a lower realm, you know. Oh, they're a hungry ghost. They're running around chasing after this and that. That'll teach them to be greedy. No, it doesn't teach them. Yeah. Maybe the few people 
who have a, a good understanding, a correct understanding of karma when they're reborn as human beings can think about how did I get here? What were the virtuous karmas I created when I'm suffering? What were the harmful karmas I created? You know, when you have a correct idea of, of karma, you can think about these things. But other beings can't. And even the beings who have a correct idea of karma, when we suffer, do we say, you know, what actions did I do in the past that created the cause for this? No, we say, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah? I mean, this is what makes samsara so difficult because it's you're suffering within it and it's difficult to create the causes to get out of it. I do believe very strongly that people don't learn from suffering. Um, what was interesting was trying to implement that without the skill. Um, and I recall when I worked with boys who were bullies, uh, there are four of them in the classroom, uh, they couldn't recognize, they, rec they see love or care as weakness at first, so I had to have the fortitude to just mm -hmm. figure out how to hold that line. What I did not expect was that other kids uh, perceived that I was not fair or that I was not creating a safe environment for them. It's like, oh, if so-and-so can behave like that and still be cared for, um, mm. like they want to see consequences, you know. Yeah, so that was quite hard to figure out and balance. Yeah, they want to see those kids get punished and be in pain. Yeah, or more like um, if they can treat us this way um, and you're doing nothing to safe to help us be safe in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit like the political situation now, right? There's a giant aggressor on a peaceful country. All mm -hmm. the other peaceful countries are like, if, if he just gets away with that, what about us? Yeah, mm -hmm. It was very much like the kids were, some of them were like terrified. They're like, mm -hmm. if you're not going to stop them, um, and we have to be with them all day when you're not in the classroom. Yeah. Uh, what are we supposed to do? do? Yeah. But then as teachers, you, you try and work with those kids. Yeah. And some of them are really difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, do bodhisattvas take rebirth in bodies like a toucan or a cat? And would it be an unfortunate rebirth in that case? Bodhisattva, uh, lower bodhisattvas below the uh, the heat stage of the path of preparation can sometimes be born in a lower realm like that, not by their choice, but by the force of karma. Yeah. After that, you're uh, when you reach the path of seeing then uh, you no longer, well, yeah, you don't get reborn in the, in the hell realm, in the lower realms anymore. Um, but those high bodhisattvas who can control their rebirth, they may take rebirth or make manifestations in those difficult realms for the benefit of the beings there. Silly comments <laughs> about animals because, hey, I know. <laughs> You mentioned something about um, dog training, and uh -huh. and but there are instances in which um, if the trainer is not careful, and uh, that the 
and abuses the dog or improperly trains the dog, that the dog can turn against the trainer, mm -hmm. against the handler. So, you know, it not always works that if you train the dog, it's going to be nice. And then I wanted to relay um, a story about a pony because you talked about animals too. And so I made the mistake of, uh, it was uh, the first time I saw this pony. So I, I made a mistake of getting too close and um, the pony decided it was a great idea to step on my, on my foot and the pony did step on my foot. <clears throat> and so I, I, I actually sensed the glee, <laughs> the glee of the pony stepping on my foot. It's like, Oh, I got her. I got her. And then, so I, so I, so I pushed the, I pushed it with my shoulder and, um, and then he was like, okay, well, he just, he just, um, lifted his, um, hoof just high enough so that I could like bring my foot out really like pulling, you know, and it was like, oh, I'm so proud of himself. You know, I did something <laughs> anyway. So it was a little naughty pony, but yeah. <laughs> For a bodhisattva who's reached such a high level of like on on the path at all, but then they're uncontrollably taking rebirth in a lower realm. What is they're, they're by choice taking rebirth? In the no, lower. the ones that you said that don't by choice, they can still be reborn in a lower realm. Yeah. but it's not by choice. Yeah, those are the lower. Yeah, level but what what do, what do you do to have that? No, like um, do, do any of the texts say what? their capacity is in those lower realms because they're obviously they're an accomplished being but they're uncontrollably taking rebirth in those lower states so uh, i don't know it's just like what i don't know either <laughs> yeah there's a story about the buddha in a previous life being born and the hell beings and you know pushing the but I don't know what level he was at that point. And I don't, and there's a lot, some people say that's when he developed bodhicitta, but I don't think so. And because other people say, no, that's not the time he developed bodhicitta. There's different stories about when he developed bodhicitta. Yeah, ask one of those bodhisattvas, okay? Okay, let's dedicate.